There is a new book out there all about how big pharma broke American healthcare and what the heck we can do to repair it. It is the inside story of how big pharma's relentless pursuit of ever higher profits corrupts our medical knowledge, misleading doctors, misdirecting American healthcare, and ultimately harming individual health. The United States spends an excess $1.5 trillion annually on health care compared to other wealthy countries. Yet, the amount of time that Americans live in good health ranks 68th in the world. At the heart of the problem is Big Pharma, which funds most clinical trials and shapes the research agenda, withholds real data from trials as corporate secrets, and shapes most of the information that is relied upon by healthcare professionals. In this no-holds-barred expose, Dr. John Abramson, one of the foremost experts on the drug industry's deceptive tactics, combines patient stories with what he learned during many years of serving as an expert in national drug litigation to reveal the tangled web of financial interests at the heart of the dysfunction of our healthcare system. For example, one of pharma's best kept secrets is that peer reviewers charged with ensuring the accuracy and completeness of clinical trial reports that are published in medical journals do not even have access to the complete data and must rely on manufacturer-influenced summaries. Likewise, for experts who write the clinical practice guidelines that define our standards of care, we simply don't see what is truly happening. The result of complex research and privileged access to the inner workings of the U.S. medical industrial complex, sickening, shines a light on the dark underbelly of American healthcare and prevents a path towards genuine reform. Welcome to The Lindsay Elmore Show, a podcast for people who deserve to be healthy with honest, open and enlightening conversations with doctors, thought leaders, creatives, and spiritual gurus, you'll walk away with simple and tangible tips and tricks that allow you to live your healthiest life so you can pursue your dreams, overcome obstacles, and leave your mark. Dr. John Abramson has been on faculty at Harvard Medical School for 25 years, where he teaches healthcare policy. He also served as a family physician for 22 years, during which he was named a top doctor six times in local, state, and national surveys. He served as an unpaid consultant to the FBI and Department of Justice, including in a case that resulted in the largest criminal fine in U.S. history. In addition to many academic articles and op-eds in the New York Times and other publications, he is the author of Sickening, How Big Pharma Broke American Healthcare and How We Can Repair It, and Overdosed America. The Broken Promise of American Medicine. Dr. Abramson has appeared on Today, CNN's American Morning, NPR's All Things Considered, CBS Evening News, NBC Nightly News, The Dr. Oz Show, and many other places. Dr. John Abramson, welcome to the Lindsay Elmore Show. Lindsay, thank you for having me. I... I, I was I was telling you right before we started recording, I, I almost chuckled as I was reading through some of your questions because it clearly highlights to me the disconnect between what is the perception of the American medical system and what the American medical system actually is. And you have a new book out. It's called Sickening, How Big Pharma Broke American Healthcare and How we can repair it because big pharma is on a relentless pursuit of 
profits. And that profit ability corrupts our medical knowledge, misleading doctors, misleading American healthcare, and ultimately causing harm to the individual. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it's and it's not just in the past 20 years that this has been happening. It's been happening for a much longer period of time. So start us out about why did you write a book that was so highly critical of the prescription drug industry as well as its influence on the American healthcare system? Well, Lindsay, I, I was a family doctor for 20 years and I uh, did a Robert Wood Johnson Fellowship after my residency and learned about statistics, epidemiology and research design. But then I wanted to practice. I, I wanted to go take care of people and I was a family doc in a small town about an hour north of Boston. Um, <clears throat> as the 90s wore on, it became clear that the journals were becoming more and more influenced by the drug companies and the continuing medical education that is mandatory for us docs was also coming under the influence of the drug companies. So I left and wrote a book called Overdosed America that was published in 2004. And when that book, uh, a week after that book came out, uh, Vioxx was pulled from the market in, in the United States, the largest drug recall in history. And I had written a lot about Vioxx in that book. And I was the last guy, <clears throat> excuse me, who wrote the book. So suddenly I was on the Today Show and all over TV. And though I was a family doc and had no legal experience, lawyers started to call me to serve as an expert in national drug litigation. And I spent about 10 years in that role. I did maybe 15 cases during that time. And as an expert, you literally get inside the corporate computers. So for all you folks sitting out there saying, God, I wish I knew what they were really doing, my job was to figure out what they were really doing and to write reports and to testify in court. I did that <clears throat> for about 10 years, hugely gratifying and amazingly challenge, intellectually challenging uh, um, uh, you know, gig. Um, but it became clear that even though I was figuring out what was going on inside those what the drug companies were really doing, what their data really showed, how their marketing people and their business people really biased uh, beyond uh, what any reasonable per person would uh, think uh, was normal corporate behavior. I, I looked at that for about 10 years and we were successful in many cases. I uh, testified to the FBI and Department of Justice in a case that turned into the biggest criminal fine in US history for any matter. Um, but the message wasn't getting out. I, I understood what was going on, but there was very little coverage in the newspaper of what we were learning in those corporate computers. And uh, when we could get in the medical journals, um, it, it didn't really affect many people. So I decided that, okay, I've, I've done this. I've been an expert. I really know what's going on in there. And the only way to get this out in this world is to write a book. It took me six years to write Sickening. Um, I, I knew most of the stuff that wasn't research. It was figuring out how to tell this story in a way that uh, wasn't overwhelmingly statistical, but had a narrative arc that drew readers in and um, hopefully will uh, allow them to see what is really going on in the pharmaceutical industry. And when you say, and I say, and others say that the drug company's first job is to maximize the profits that are returned to their investors. It really is to maximize their profits. Sometimes they come up with good drugs and there's no question. And that's what makes this difficult because I don't want anyone who's watching this to go come away from the podcast or reading the book and say, that's it. I'm never using another prescription drug. Um, about one out of four prescription drugs are better than drugs that uh, were previously available. And some of them are really important. So we've got to be really smart. And that's our goal here is to understand that the drug companies are relentless in their pursuit of profit. They mean it and they're good at it. And yet they own all of medical therapeutics, pharmaceutical therapeutics, and some of medical science works. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I remember um, when when the the COVID pandemic first started and everybody was like, look at Anthony Fauci. He wrote Harrison's Principles of Internal Medicine. He's a genius guy. And you flip open to that first page in there and it's like sponsored by Pfizer. And it's like, wait, no, we can't allow people who have such a strong bias towards making money also govern medical education, the distribution of journal articles, etc. Now, I want to go back to what you said about continuing med- medical education in the 90s as well as journal publications. Um, my audience actually knows a little bit about statistics. We've talked a lot about absolute risk reduction versus relative risk reduction and how it was used specifically in the marketing of Lipitor when Lipitor first came out. Um, And we've also talked a lot about the billions and billions of dollars that get paid out in fines because when you make as much money as the pharmaceutical industry does, a $3 billion fine, a $10 billion, it doesn't, there's no fine that will that will correct the behavior because there's too much money in the system. Talk to us about in the 90s, when you're starting to realize something's off, what did you start to notice in medical research that you were like, that doesn't add up? So first it was the continuing medical education. And it became increasingly clear that the experts, air quotes, experts, um, who were coming out to lecture to us, um, were getting paid by the drug companies to sell drugs. Yeah, they were posing, uh, they were wearing their uh, professor or assistant professor uniforms, but their job was to sell us drugs. So that was the first step. And then the second step was seeing in the journals, and it really was an, the first article about Vioxx in the New England Journal of Medicine, and an article about Celebrex, uh, which is a cousin of Vioxx in JAMA, <clears throat> both clearly misrepresented the data. The public citizen sued the FDA in 1999 or 2000 to get them to release the FDA reviewers' reports when new drugs were approved. And that, th- that information was buried in the web, but you could find it. Um, and it was actually a footnote in another JAMA article that tipped me off. When I got into that data, it was very clear that JAMA and the New England Journal had lied to us. And and that's not actually fair to say that. The people who wrote the articles that were published in JAMA and the New England Journal lied to us. And what I didn't know at the time is that the peer reviewers who reviewed those articles to make sure that they were accurate and to put the good housekeeping seal of approval on so doctors could follow those articles and practice evidence-based medicine, they hadn't been given the evidence. That peer reviewers don't get to see the real evidence from the clinical trials. And that really kind of blew my mind. I mean, that's what took me out of uh, being a family practitioner and into being a researcher. So... What you're saying is that it goes far beyond just doctors being better journal readers. It goes far beyond just like we've got to follow the guidelines because if you can't see the raw data, you're simply relying on what the company tells you is true, correct? That's exactly right. So if we look at the cholesterol guidelines, the current cholesterol guidelines recommend that half of all American adults over age 40 be on a statin. What's that based on? There's been no transparency. The people who wrote those guidelines do not have access to the clinical trial data. They have access to um, journal publications that are peer reviewed, but the peer reviewers didn't get the data. And they have access to the reports from the cholesterol treatment trialists in Oxford who get the data, but they've signed a contract to keep it secret so you can't verify their data. So the cholesterol guidelines <clears throat> that have half recommend half of all American adults over the age of 40 take a statin 
are not based on evidence that's been independently evaluated. It's just shocking. And there are two things that are equally shocking about that. A, that it exists, that this is the state of the, the quality of the information that doctors are relying on. And B, that doctors don't know it. Doctors don't understand that they're seeing, they're like the slaves in uh, Plato's cave who are looking at the shadows on the wall and thinking they're seeing reality. And they don't know that they're looking at the shadows on the wall and that the corporations where we started this conversation, the drug companies mean business. They're trying to make as much money as they can and they'll do it however they can. Yes, it is astonishing. I, I don't think it is too far to go to say that we have created an in indoctrinated class, literally an indoctrinated class of drug dealers. And that's what modern medicine is. Now, a lot of people listening, they may go, yeah, but we're doing okay, right? So talk to us about the comparison between American healthcare versus other first world nations where there's plenty of wealth in um, in the population to, to care for people. Right. So we have access to the latest innovation and we supposedly have the best healthcare in the world. The truth is that the, the best single health statistic is healthy life expectancy. How many years the average person in the population lives in good health. And if they're in compromised health, then the, those years are prorated for their quality of life. So a healthy life expectancy is the best single uh, statistic. And in 2000, <clears throat> we ranked 38th in the world in healthy life expectancy. Since 2000, we've been spending excess at a rate proportional to $1.5 trillion a year in excess above what the other countries are spending. We were 38th in 2000, and now we're 68th before the pandemic. We rank 68th in the world. So we have access to the latest innovation. Americans get innovation quicker. It so-called diffuses quicker in the population. And yet the health of Americans keeps going down, down, down in comparison to the health of the other folks. And what I learned writing uh, when I was writing uh, Sickening was that the problem here is that even though pharmaceuticals only account for 17% of our total healthcare bill, it's a tail wags dog situation. It's 17% of our healthcare spending, but it's about 96% of our healthcare knowledge. So they've dominated 96% of research is about drugs and devices, not about how to make people healthy. And so the commercial interests dominate what doctors, again, air quotes, know about how to practice medicine. And it's a, a, fine, a, a, a body of knowledge that is created and distributed in order to maximize the financial return to the investors in that research is not gonna produce a healthy population. And we keep spending more money and the political dialogue is not about the quality of the knowledge that doctors have. And it's, it's ruining our country. You know, I think that the cost of healthcare and the effect of healthcare, like for example, on uh, white males who don't have a college education have been devastated over the past 20 years with um, uh, economic problems and then opioids. And this is devastating our country, creating this political polarization. And um, Americans understand what's going on. 80% of Americans say that the drug companies charge too much. And even more than that, say the drug companies are just after profits, but we can't get it done. We can't get it done because the drug companies have so much power in Washington. So that's where I really wanted to go next is this all sounds very gloom and doom and it's been going on for so many years. How do we untangle this? You know, if, if Congress is bought and medical education is bought and all of it has been sold out, what do we do? Well, we try and have a functioning democracy. And uh, we need a, a, a three-part coalition 
to overcome the political influence of the drug companies. Healthcare professionals need to learn about this. And I, you're doing your best to get the word out and I'm doing my best and a lot of other people have to jump on board, but healthcare professionals have to understand that people look to them as so-called learned intermediaries, the experts who can apply science uh, to clinical medicine and optimize health, and they can't do it. They cannot do their job. So healthcare professionals have to understand that they're being played for fools, that the peer and peer reviewers um, are certifying the accuracy of uh, clinical trial reports when they haven't seen the data and so forth. So healthcare professionals need to step up to the plate. Number two, the second part of this tripartite coalition is purchasers of healthcare in non-healthcare related businesses. So that would be government, uh, independent businesses, large businesses that aren't healthcare related, unions, self-insured unions. Those folks are getting ripped off. And American business can't be competitive when we're wasting $4,500 a year for every man, woman, and child on our excess health expenses and, our, and we're losing ground in terms of our health. So businesses are just wasting money and they've got to get into the coalition. And then most important is the American public. They're getting ripped off. They're getting played. The marketing folks know that they're playing with people's emotions, people's fear of disease, people, people's hopes for easy cures for diseases that are terrible diseases but don't have cures. And in order for this to get straightened out, that tripartite uh, coalition has to become has to develop greater political influence than the drug companies that are paying off everyone in sight and hiring the lobbyists and hiring the PR firms. And the American people have to become more powerful. And this is not just about healthcare. It, you could say the same thing about climate change. You could say the same thing about other issues in our society. But this, it's not democratic. And, and, and much of what we think we know is propaganda. It's not true. We look at other countries that are authoritarian and we look at the propaganda that goes on in North Korea or Russia or whatever. And we think, oh God, that's so awful. We don't have that, but we do have it. We've got corporations that are buying up the airtime on TV that won't have drug critics on. We are not having a robust public debate in the mainstream media. So people like you have to, do these podcasts that are going to get the message out are doing an end run around corporate media, but we've got to develop the tools. We've got to become skillful in communicating and helping people to understand what a ripoff this is. And then the, the a very important point here, all this is bad. There's a lot of bad stuff going on, but 80% of our health is in our own hands. And because the drug ads are so strong and because all the research is about drugs, we think that drugs, the newest drugs are the best way to uh, optimize our health. And 80% of our health has to do with how we live our lives. So we've got to remember that with all this bad news, just walk through the door into a healthier life. Now we're all gonna get sick. We're gonna have to figure out how much pharma we're gonna deal with, how much doctor we're gonna deal with but we can walk through that door towards 80% of our health by exercising, by not smoking, by maintaining a healthy body weight, uh, by drinking in moderation, 80% reduction, yeah, 80% improvement in health. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that is so just glaringly obvious is if you watch TV, you see this endless loop of advertisements for pro-inflammatory foods, toxic diet culture, and then you follow it up with the latest and greatest diabetes medication or the latest and greatest asthma medication, the latest and greatest um, COPD medication. All of these medications for chronic disease states, which don't have to exist. And when it comes to diabetes, it's, it's almost criminal because there are markers that you are walking towards diabetes 
10, 15, sometimes 20 years before you get there. Parkinson's disease is another just glaring example that we've talked about on this show about how we, you know, if you're experiencing 15, 20 years worth of constipation, the likelihood of you developing Parkinson's disease later in life is very high. Why do we not teach people about walking water and fiber when they're 15 or 20 years old, first starting to experience Parkinson's, uh, or excuse me, first starting to experience constipation that ultimately is going to lead towards some terrible outcome where oftentimes drug companies are scrambling trying to find something that will work something that will work and as you said one in four medications probably a pretty dang good drug but you start getting into medications used to treat depression to treat um, mental health disorders you start getting into meds that treat Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease by and large most people simply do not find success with them and so before we get to the rest of my interview let's take a break for a word from our sponsors have you been feeling like your energy is not what it used to be or that you just can't think as clearly as you once did or maybe that stress is just always surrounding you and impacting your mood and your behavior you may be struggling with your overall mental fitness mental fitness is not just about brain power it's about how do we center our focus gain more confidence become more resilient towards stress and improve our physical performance alongside our mental performance Inside of Amare's Mental Fitness Pack, you'll find three products specifically designed to help improve brain performance, increase energy and endurance, while simultaneously calming the body and brain, helping to lower stress so that you can think more clearly and have a healthy, positive mood. Inside of the Mental Fitness Pack, there are three products. There is Energy Plus, which delivers rapid improvements in both brain and physical performance. There is the Mood Plus, which I can personally attest helped me to have fewer feelings of anxiousness and reduced my restlessness and overall stress levels in just one dose. Then there's the Sleep Plus, which is going to help you to fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Believe it or not, mental fitness can also lead to pain. So there is a fourth product in here called Relief Plus that has been scientifically shown to help improve sports recovery and joint health while providing fast acting and long lasting relief from occasional aches and pains, which can help you to sleep better overall enhancing your mental fitness. Get shopping now at lindsayelmore.com slash amare. When you shop my link, you will save $10. And when you subscribe and save, you will get an additional 10% off. When you get started with the Mental Fitness Pack, you will be on your way to have improved brain performance and a calmer body and brain. Shop now at lindsayelmore.com slash amare to save $10. And now, let's get back to the show. And, and we talked with Gerald Posner a lot. If you want to learn more about the history of how marketing has transformed and how dramatically different it is please go back and listen to uh to Gerald's episode um so Lindsay I I think it's important to point out I don't know a better uh way to organize an economy than uh capitalism Mm -hmm. I'm Mm -hmm. not a communist I'm not a socialist we need markets Mm -hmm. but I think it's important for all of us to know 
that markets will take advantage of us if we let them. And as time goes on, the markets get more sophisticated in taking advantage of us. And that's where we are in healthcare. The market's in control and the market has only one thing on its mind, which is maximizing financial return. And we've got to understand that we enjoy a lot of freedoms and watching what's going on in Ukraine right now makes us appreciate that even more. But it's not perfect. And we've got to defend ourselves against this tendency in the market. And I think doctors are at least as naive, and I would think more naive than the general public because they are benefiting so much from this crazy market. Um, but we've got to understand that there will always be tension in the best of societies and naming it and addressing it and becoming a political activist isn't outside the border. It should be inside the border of responsible citizenship. And that's where we are. And it's so sad because when you think about a physician, especially you know family physicians, they're, they're, they're not neurosurgeons. They don't get compensated in the same way. And oftentimes, Physicians are making more money on the speaker circuits and getting the kickbacks of the free vacays and the pens and the lunch breaks and all of the things. We've tried to put some boundaries around it, but if a drug company wants to kind of weasel their way in and gets into a doctor's psyche, it becomes very hard to turn away from... I'm making $100,000 at the hospital, but they're going to pay me forty-five dollars to go on three speaking engagements in this weekend. You know, you're making so much more money being, a, as you said, the air quotes expert um, than you are actually practicing medicine. We've lost, we've lost the art of medicine where it was actually your heart and your hands that healed people. You think about the original practice of, of medicine. It was a physician seated by a sick patient's side, worried about that person. You think about the origins of pharmacy. It was a person actually taking plants and putting them together into concoctions that were physical, that was meaningful. It was my hands being given, giving something to your life. We've completely lost all of that, of that personal touch along the way. Right. And one of the tactics, I talk about this in Sickening, one of the tactics that the drug companies have mastered is making the doctors be impolite to avoid their spiels about drugs. You have to actually be willing to be impolite to get away from them. I remember th there was a moment in my practice where I said, I'm, I'm doing the wrong thing here. I'm in the wrong job. Um, <clears throat> I had an absolute rule. No, I'm not talking to any drug reps and no drug reps get back behind the front desk. So this big guy um, comes, you know, sort of uh, confronts me back in the private part of the office and says, Doc, I want to talk to you about Celebrex. Now, at this point, I was starting to write my first book. I understood that the article that was published in JAMA just happened to leave out half of the data of the study, and, the, and, and it was all wrong when you looked at the whole study, and the FDA had said, this is BS, this, you know, just totally unacceptable to use half the data. I, I had all that in my head. He said, Doctor, I want to talk to you about the advantages of Celebrex, and I want to blah, blah, blah. I said, wait a minute. Come with me for a sec. And I went out into the um, waiting room in my office and I said, okay, now tell me, <clears throat> full waiting room. I said, okay, now tell me. So he starts talking, Celebrex, a COX-2 inhibitor and it won't cause GI bleeding and blah, blah, blah. And I turned to the patients in the waiting room and I said, this is what drug salesmen do. Mm. And, you know, it was like, okay, I've crossed the line here. I, I, I know what's going on and um, I've got a follow my instincts and become an expert in this. Yeah, I, I had that moment too, where I was working as a transitions of care pharmacist. Um, and 
it was, you know, this endless array of acute decompensated um, heart failure and COPD and heart attacks and strokes and this and that. And I had this moment where I'm going in to counsel a patient and I was like, so how many meds were you on before you came in for this, for this heart attack? And I was, and they were like, oh, none. And I realized I was sending them out the door with aspirin, a statin, a beta blocker and an ACE inhibitor and a flipping proton pump inhibitor. And when the proton pump inhibitor, I was that just like something in my mind was like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I cannot keep doing this in this same way because I know this patient doesn't need this proton pump inhibitor. I know that if we were to simply teach less inflammatory food, actual exercise, stress reduction techniques, we could have potentially prevented the heart attack in the first place. And we certainly could prevent the 30-day bounce backs, which is what Center for Medicare Services is so concerned about all of the time. Okay. Was the proton pump inhibitor uh, Prilosec? I I, No, because I was post-Prilosec days. I was the protonics era. Everybody got, got protonics. Everybody. And, you know, and your, your message about this is what drug reps do. I, I want you to understand the dastardly consequences of this because I was a 12 year old child who took Bextra because, so Bextra is another Me Too drug of Vioxx and Celebrex. I was a 12 year old, and because drug reps just sweat, came by the surgeon's office and said, New great pain medicine. My mom brought some home and said, they say it's basically like, like ibuprofen. Try it. I mean. Let me tell you a story. Uh, one of the cases uh, in civil litigation that I worked on was Bextra. And mm. the fact that it uh, seemed to, it increased uh, cardiovascular disease in people who had car, uh, heart surgery was the tip off that there was a problem. So I worked long and hard on the civil side. And I understood what they did. I understood how they monkeyed around with their data and claimed that there was safety uh, when in my humble opinion, there was not safety Um, and nothing really came of it. And I picked up the phone and called the Department of Justice and said, I don't know if you guys are looking into this, but I know a whole lot about it. And uh, one thing led to another. They subpoenaed me. I got a federal subpoena to come and testify to the FBI and the Department of Justice. and six months later, I saw in the newspaper, they keep their cards very close to their chest, so you can't tell what they're doing. Six months later, there was a press release in the newspaper that said that Pfizer had been levied with the largest criminal fine in U.S. history for any matter for what it had done with Bextra. It, it's frankly astonishing. And right now, We are in a moment where we are having brand new, not even drugs, but vaccines, which are a class of drugs, class of medications. We are having vaccines like shoved down our throat. And a lot of people are having that moment where they just go, are we sure this is safe? Are we sure that we know what we're getting into here? And I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again, and I'll ask you the same question. One of my greatest concerns that I had from day one of the COVID lockdowns and all the things, I just thought, what a missed opportunity. We had such an extraordinary opportunity to say, all right, peeps, we have a new novel virus coming towards us. It appears that it is going to very rapidly spread all across the world. Hey, we know that having metabolic disease, being overweight, smoking cigarettes, drinking excessive alcohol, working in stressful jobs, not having good community, not going outside to see the sunshine every day, We know that those things make you more susceptible to every single infection known to mankind. 
we need you to take us seriously right now. We need you to eat fruits and vegetables, go outside, exercise, practice some stress reduction, get some good sleep, hug your friends and family, because those are the things that we actually know will heal. But what do you think the the biggest, what do you think the biggest successes as well as the biggest errors that the government took along this crazy COVID journey that we've been on for two years? Right. So uh, in many ways, the mRNA vaccines are pharma's biggest success and biggest failure, both at the same time. I believe that the uh, primary vaccine, the two shots vaccine, significantly reduced the risk of severe illness and death. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage, uh, you may disagree with me, but I would strongly encourage all listeners to get vaccinated against COVID. And mm-hmm. it, uh, you may feel that pharma is just interested in money and that they lie and cheat and steal. There aren't many people in the United States that know how much they lie, cheat and steal more than I do. But those primary vaccines are one of the four drugs that works. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know about the boosters now, the fourth booster issue is getting a little tenuous. So I'm not going out, I'm not making a firm statement on that, but I am saying, please get vaccinated because although uh, Pfizer and Moderna developed uh, a very effective vaccinations very quickly, and it was a huge success for uh, pharma and for biomedicine, because their profit model was to sell as much drug as they could for the highest price and not worry about selling to lower paying countries. So they've left the low and middle income countries in the world way under vaccinated. And that assures us that we're gonna get variants that develop in the under vaccinated countries and come back and infect Americans. So they've got this drug that's very effective, but because of their greed and they're not caring about global vaccine justice, they're, they're going to undo the efficacy of their greatest success. And that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And it's just a sin. It is a sin. 15 months into the pandemic, 32, uh, excuse me, 17 um, billionaires made $50 billion from the vaccines. 17 investors and executives made $50 billion. That same month that that statistic came out, the World Health Organization came out with a statistic that said, if we don't get the vaccination rate globally up to 60% by the beginning of 2022, we're gonna face a disaster. It didn't happen. How much money would it have cost? 50 billion. The 50 billion that the 17 billionaires pocketed. Mm -hmm. So we've got people grabbing money and put it in their pockets so fast that they don't care, uh, A, what happens to people, people's health in less wealthy countries, and B, what happens to Americans' health, because these var- variants are going to keep coming back and infecting us. It's one of those things, when you have that much money, it's, it, there was a, a brilliant uh, sociology study that I loved, where they took a monopoly board, and they gave player A one die and they gave player B two and you would and they also gave player A half of the amount of money that they gave player B you would think that human nature would be to go this is not fair this is not how things are supposed to be but actually and they show videos of the players. The player that started with both dice as well as double the money keeps getting more and more excited as the day as the game goes on and they just keep cannibalizing all the properties. They keep buying everything up. They love bankrupting the other person on the other side. And so Talk to us a little bit. I mean, I know we talked about how do we loosen the grip of the drug industry um, on our American healthcare and the American government. But I just love to hear more about 
throughout your practice as a family physician and during your own life, what lifestyle interventions do you think people can do on the daily that get them on that path of walking towards health? Like what is that 80% that you discussed earlier? The 80% is straightforward. It's exercising for a half hour, at least five times a week, eating a healthy diet, not smoking, drinking in moderation, and maintaining a healthy weight. Mm. This is not complicated. It's not fancy. You don't have to uh, uh, adopt a whole different kind of life. You just have to live a more balanced life. So I think the first step is giving up the fantasy that we are bombarded with from childhood, that health is something that's done to us by an external force that is doing it to make money. We've got to give that up. There's no, there's no free ticket. There's no, there's no pass. You, you got to earn your health. Um, and to understand that, and, you know, instead of uh, banging your knee and demanding an MRI, you know, you go home and you put a little heat or ice on it and you wait a few days and you see if it's going to get better. And because there's no magic here, the, the healthcare industry is making an enormous amount of money pretending they have magic, but they don't. Sometimes we need them. Sometimes we break a bone. We don't just bruise it. Um, and we need to get it set and we, you know, we, we need x-rays and so forth. Um, but in the United States, we just do so much extra healthcare. And what we've got is the basics of a good healthcare system and wrapped around it is this tremendous profiteering that's getting everybody, doctors and patients off track. And mm-hmm. we've got, we in the United States, this is a special situation in the United States. We are way out all alone. Um, but we've got to get over this. And people have to take responsibility for understanding what the truth about this is. Democracy requires that the citizens be educated and act rationally. And Mm -hmm. right now in the United States, citizens have been marginalized and anti-corporate views have been largely taken off the air uh, of the mainstream media. And we've got to make our own uh, decisions and, and create our own political movement. We're not going to get support from uh, the network TVs. And, you know, we've got to do it on our own. We've got to figure out ways to get together on the internet. We've got to, we, we've got to cast off this corporate exploitation and figure out how to live good lives. Mm, I mean, if we could go back and not allow direct-to-consumer advertising to be made legal in the United States, what a different media landscape we would have today. You know, it would still be, it would still be the original Arthur Sacklers of the world kind of sneaking their ads into journals in the, in the uh, offices of physicians instead of a blitz, an absolute blitz i mean you know we're recording this the the week that the oscars happened and so of course will smith and is right on the cusp and i i started to hear some some kind of there's like oh conspiracy theories and it's like well how do we get everybody talking about alopecia well we have this big dramatic moment on television that just happens to be right alongside when one of the largest drug manufacturers in the United States just happens to have a drug that's performing very well in clinical trials. And it's like, you don't want to dive down and be like, there's, there's some, there's something wrong here, but then there is something wrong. And I don't know if, if any of that has anything to do with this new alopecia drug, but it is on people's lips this week as, and so it's a manipulation is all that we're saying is it's a manipulation that we have to figure out how do we have honest debate in this country ever again? How do we have honest debate? Right. And I think it's doing what you're doing right now with me. It's bringing people who might not be attractive to corporate media, might not uh, get TV space when there's drug ads on either side of the segment, but Mm -hmm. have an open discussion and people are free to log in on their computer and, and hear it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So 
I I would just encourage all of our listeners here today to go pick up a copy of Sickening How Big Pharma Broke American Healthcare and How We Can Repair It. It is a no-holds-barred expose about how the drug industry manipulates American healthcare. Dr. John Abramson, it has been a distinct honor to speak with you today. You are simply a wealth of knowledge, and it's a wealth of knowledge that I love absorbing. So thank you for coming in today and being a guest on The Lindsay Elmore Show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, let me ask your listeners, if you do buy the book and you read the book, please loan the book to your doctor, because Mm. we've got to get the doctors to read this. They've got Mm -hmm. to see that this is really happening. It's all documented. I've got all the credentials and um, it's real and they don't understand it and they need to understand it. Well, it's it's that moment that we're having and and I hate the word, but it's that getting woke. How do we get woke and how do we wake up and just go, I don't want to be manipulated by the system anymore. Right. Right. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Somovatic is the ultimate EMF protection. It is designed on the principle of controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. This allows you to create a coherent field covering more than 2,800 square feet. That's right. It forms a bubble of protection against electromagnetic frequencies, including 4G and 5G, Wi-Fi, and your cell phones, and it protects against oxidative stress and free radicals. The Soavedic Ruby and the Vedic models are there to help repair cellular damage from non-native EMF exposure. It helps the body to repair itself from the harmful effects of EMF. The balancing effects reach a 100 feet radius in all directions. And that's not all. Somavedic can also help to harmonize your water. Somavedic creates structure in your water that helps it to benefit our bodies more. By creating hexagonal patterns, water is reorganized into its natural state, just like nature intended. You can head over to www.somavedic.com and use the code LKE to save 10% off. That's www.somavedic, that's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C, Com and use the code LKE to save 10%. Be sure to shop using the code so that Soma Vedic knows that we sent you. The Lindsay Elmore Show is written and produced by me, Lindsay Elmore. Show segments are produced by Sue Procco and Derek Lugo. Sound design and editing is by Jive Media. Support The Lindsay Elmore Show by heading to lindsayelmore.com slash podcast. Your contribution, no matter how big or how small, helps us to bring the best guests to the interview chair. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Share this and all of your favorite episodes with a friend and on social media. Be sure to tag at Lindsay Elmore Show and help us bring the pod to more people.